0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B!
1: Hey there folks, welcome back to another episode of Graphic Novelty. Yes. So we've got a new graphic novel to talk to you about. It's fantastic and we're very excited.
0: And I'm gonna let you guess who it is that wrote it. Because almost every single graphic novelty's we've ever done has been the <laughs> same on there.
1: Well this time... Uh-huh. It's by Ed Brubaker and <laughs> Sean Phillips. I uh, I don't know if I love being called out like that.
0: <laughs> the reason why it has been this way, now we have done a few other graphic novelties, but part of it is that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are so damn prolific and have created such incredible content the past couple years yeah. that, you know, honestly, they've been putting out some of the better graphic yeah, novels I mean, the, that are available to the us. The
1: content they've been putting out is just... Fantastic! Really good in this format. Like that's just how it is. They've been putting out really solid stuff, and I mean there have been weeks where new, admittedly, where new OGNs come into the shop and we check them out and we're just kind of like, meh. meh, you know what I mean? And there are, we want to go back and do older graphic novels too. We it's just, true. We're only just now kind of getting to a stable point where we can do a lot of extra stuff. Anyway, um yes, we are talking about another Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips graphic novel. Um, this one is the next stage in the Reckless saga that they're doing. For those who don't know, uh Brew Baker and Phillips are going to be doing a series of graphic novels set in uh I, I want to say the world of, but it's kind of just the normal world set along the stories of Reckless. Uh we talked about the first one that they did yep. a few months back. Um, this is the second one. Uh it's a reckless book is how they refer to it. So they're putting these out every few months, uh, as kind of a homage to serials from the days of yore. Uh, and yeah, if you want to hear us talk about the first book, go to coverbepodcast.com and check it out. That's right. This is the second one. It is called friend of the devil. Uh, it sees our titular character reckless, uh, in 1985 dealing with a whole new story uh in case you missed our first episode on this uh the main character is a man whose last name is reckless he's a former fbi agent uh who had some stuff go down in his life that resulted in him uh being a survivor of an explosion which left him having trouble dealing with emotions not dealing with having trouble feeling emotions his his emotions are very muted uh he doesn't feel things like fear and love and you know joy and sadness and stuff in to the same degree that everyone does he says that he still feels them he just doesn't feel them as extremely he has since moved on from the FBI and is now working effectively as a private eye though he makes a point to state that he is not a private eye um he's just a guy who does odd jobs for people which consists mostly of like finding missing persons and tracking down people who have wronged other people he works out of a movie theater um and people call a phone number and say hey i need you to help me with this and then he goes off and helps them for money uh and yeah this one is a new story. It's a fresh story. It's you know got old familiar characters, and it's done in that classic Brew Baker style with that classic Brubaker, uh, Sean Phillips artwork. Uh, and T, what do you think?
0: I love the Reckless series. Um, I am a big fan of crime fiction. Um, typically, more on the the television-esque crime fiction, mm-hmm. but I enjoy a good crime novel from time to time as well. Um, part of what's so nice about this is that it gives Rubreaker and Phillips the opportunity to jump around in timelines and eras and environments mm-hmm. so that we get very different settings. So the first one took place in the 70s, and then this one takes place in the 80s, and so it's a very different vibe. Um the types of quote-unquote bad guys that he faces are going to be different. And the type of political climate is different. And the type of, you know, social climate is different. So it's fun to see these characters interact in different environments. And I think that's really, really cool. One of the things that stood out to me the most about this book is how well they tackle um, social things with a perspective that it's mm-hmm. taking place in a in a in a very specific period, but also feels very modern in sensibility. Yeah. So, like for instance, the main character, Lin, or the the Ethan's new companion that we meet very like within the first few pages, Lin Tran. Um, she's Vietnamese, and there's you know discussion about the the you know, trauma of the Vietnamese people from that era and the things that went down and how awful people were to them. But it's, it's done in such a great way where it looks back and it's like, yeah, these are the things that happened, but also they were freaking terrible and yeah. they never should have happened. Yeah. It's it's just nicely placed in a way where you could talk about it and make it feel like you're both simultaneously participating in these events as they take place, but also removed and distant enough to have rational and and smart opinions about what's taking place as it's taking place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. I feel like having that level of distance and the fact that we are kind of hearing the story from Ethan in a more modern day setting, mm-hmm. talking about this time period, talking about what he was going through. It's a It's a flashback almost. And I feel like that's so important because it just gives you that like mild veneer of perspective yeah it's like he tells it exactly as it happens but he also tells it as someone who has moved on grown learned from the scenario can see things that weren't necessarily obvious to him at the time i think that's such a really cool way to present a story having this like third-party omniscient like narrator yeah but that third-party omniscient narrator is the main character. And I think that's such a cool way to present a story.
1: I agree. Yeah. It, uh, honestly, this book, like both books in the Reckless series so far have been really good. But honestly, I'm, I'm taking this one and I'm going to put it into my memory banks as the book I'm going to toss at people, uh, when they ask me, like, what do you like so much about Ed Brubaker? Because Ed Brubaker, we've talked about him a ton on the show. He's one of my favorite writers. Uh Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips stuff is some of the f- my favorite comic book content that's on the market and has been coming out. I look forward to every single one and honestly that's why we end up talking about a lot of them. <laughs> um but this one I think is a really good kind of s- sample platter of the things that make Brubaker's writing style incredible. Um and you know, just a few notes, like one thing I love that this book really, really does really well. And the other one did really well, too. And anytime Brubaker's presented his his story leads into an element of mystery, whether that be in Fade Out or Fatal or elements of a uh, killer be killed where there was more of a mystery going on. Um, anytime he presents a mystery to the reader, he doesn't fall into tropes that too often you know, as a as a writer or someone creating something, you're presented with like, OK, my character is going to come up to a mystery. My character has to solve that mystery like that's to progress the story. They have to solve it. And I feel like too often um, and I I often use the like recent examples of Sherlock Holmes stuff. Like when you see Sherlock Holmes in pop culture. Right. This becomes big, whether it be the Sherlock Holmes movies or, you know, uh, even the like recent Sherlock Holmes book that came out not too long ago and stuff, or like Sherlock Holmes is a character appearing in like a cartoon or another show or whatever it might be. Or you have a character that's basically Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I haven't seen Sherlock the show. Admittedly, I've seen none of it, so I can't make an assessment on that. But too often when Sherlock Holmes is brought in, it's like, and even in some of the old Sherlock Holmes stuff, it was this way, which is part of it is uh, it's like, I've solved this mystery because of course I did. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I noticed this thing. And so that led me to believe that this was the case. And so I was prepared for this eventual reveal that is being given to me. I figured like, it out
0: despite the fact that it doesn't necessarily yeah. make sense that I figured it out, but I figured it out because I'm Sherlock Holmes. And of course I figured it too
1: out often when you're dealing with like, investigator characters or you know this happens a lot in CSI too they'll be like somebody will be like hmm, I knew it the whole time because I ran this DNA through a spectrometer and it came back with me. and it's like and I don't know why I was talking like Nicholas Cage right there but um <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh it yeah like too often the mystery is solved either because of course it was or an assumption made by either through instinct or assumption. Yeah. by by the investigator. And it's that's just not good writing. Sure it leads the you know the investigator to have the solution, but I hate one of the laziest forms of writing in general is when somebody just knew something was going to happen or knew you know, it's also a trope in anime that I complain about a lot where like somebody will like use a big attack on like a bad guy. And the bad guy will be like, hm, I knew you were going to use that attack I've never seen. So I transferred my body to a different plane in preparation. It's like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, shut up.
0: That happened recently. We were watching something and like a, a villain Miraculously missed it like dodged an attack because they were like you have this so I knew you were going to use this instead uh,
1: and that's like that's uh. how a lot of mysteries are solved in writing it's like ah oh, yes well when you first come came to me I noticed the you know there's a good example of that in uh, Ace Ventura the second one and they do it as kind of a well Ace Ventura does it throughout but it's that it's poking fun at that like standard trope where right. you know this investigator who is going through the motions and doing like legwork to find clues, ultimately looks back at something from like the first time they met somebody, and it is like, you had guano on your shoes and stuff like that. And it's like, well, okay, cool. So that solved the whole thing. Yeah. Brewbreaker does not do that. No, he does Brubaker not. Brewbreaker shows you the legwork. Yeah. And this whole book is legwork, it's yeah. investigation from start to finish and it's it's really really cool and you don't see that much just a quick shout out another thing that does a really good job at that is twin peaks twin peaks is entirely investigation we are seeing some bad stuff go down as an audience and that presents a little bit of like dramatic irony as the cops and agent cooper and stuff are also investigating missing people um but we watch like i mean there's a whole episode where there's an extended segment of them like Taking shots at bottles or something from a distance away yeah. to like judge eyesight or something. I don't remember what it is. It's been a while since I've seen it, but they're like out in the woods, like shooting at things with like a chalkboard and donuts, you know? <laughs> and they're like judging like things. And it's like you see this legwork go in and like that's cool. That's it's how true. it should be, you know? And
0: it makes it feel a lot less like Deus Ex information mm-hmm. like there's nothing more frustrating than you not having had the opportunity to solve the mystery with your main character because your main character was given some arbitrary knowledge that you could never have obtained like yeah like you're in a scenario where The At the very end, the Sherlock Holmes is like, I knew that you had done this because of my visit to Guatemala when I uncovered visiting with this special tribe, that this specific thing does this. So I knew that this was a thing that you did. It's like, I don't have that insight. I could never possibly have had that insight. So me as a reader or a participant in the story... I never could have gotten to the conclusion without it. And it's just frustrating because it's, it's yeah, like
1: it's it's mystery writing for the sake of having like a twist or a surprise. Yeah. As opposed to mystery writing to immerse the reader into the actual mystery. Itself. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like when you read like a Sherlock's home, Sherlock Holmes esque type thing, like that's really written for like Sherlock Holmes is a superhuman. Like, we can accept that he has, like, superhuman sensibilities, a superhuman opium addiction, but also a superhuman, (laughs) like, ability to... And they comment on that. Like, Watson is constantly commenting on Sherlock Holmes's ability to notice things. Like, that's the thing that Watson admires the most is his ability to notice things. His observation, yeah. But, like, if it were to be Sherlock Holmes notices a thing that you know, would be hard for any person to notice. And then that leads down a train of investigating like a, of investigating. That was a weird, I, i mix saying investigating and investigation. So I put the emphasis in a weird place. Anyway, um, if that led down a train of investigation, that would, you know, take us along the ride of them, like digging up clues and figuring stuff out and whatnot, then cool. But more often than not, these sorts of like mystery stories with like a super detective often end with us being like, whoa, but not because the clues were all there and it was all like laid out for us, but because. He knew it and we needed to know it, too. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and so it just becomes like, aha, you know, it's like the the uh, it's a Scooby Doo episode. You yeah. Know? like scooby-doo episodes will have like little flags of like who the like real bad guy is you know what i mean like little clues and you can kind of like piece it together itself but ultimately every episode is there truly exists just so that we can have some drama with like scary monsters popping up and scaring the team and then that classic like mask tear off so that we can be like (gasps) oh old man Jenkins you know what I mean and then
0: of course Velma while she was off literally alone doing her own thing uncovered all of the clues and was like well yeah because of this and we're like well I was over here watching Scooby and Snag eat snacks so like I didn't get to see your clues yeah,
1: yeah so it uh you know I love that about Brubaker's writing is that he's very very good about taking you along on the ride and right having his characters notate certain facts that they get and say okay and in this one, I particularly like because he actually has other players doing stuff in the background. And we see Ethan set up these plans with people. And then Ethan goes off and does his thing. And then later reconvenes with them. And they're like, this is what I found. And that's cool because yeah. it's it's the character is not omniscient. He can't relay to us what happened with this person looking into this thing. No. Except for maybe like vague snippets. From when they explained it. But he wasn't there to see it. So all he can do is tell us when he assigned it. And when he received the info that he needed. Yeah. And I just think that's really, really cool. Another thing that I like about this book. That I like about some of the other things I've read from Brubaker. Namely, one of the first things I read. It was actually right as I was getting back into comics. And it was really my first foray into indie comics that weren't like IP things. Mm-hmm. Um, Was Fade Out. Uh, which is set in like 1950s Hollywood and it's another kind of noir mystery. Um, And both that one and this one and a lot of the other stuff that he writes, if it's set in a period, the story doesn't feel weighed down by the period. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that because like sometimes like stories set in like the eighties can feel like it's, and this is mainly with like visual medium, like movies and shows and stuff. Yeah. But f- I've seen it a couple times in comics with comics set in like the 80s and the 90s. It can feel really steeped in 80s and 90s. And it makes it a little hard I gotcha. to like I gotcha. attach, you know, especially with like movies and stuff. It would be like this movie set in the 80s and then it's nothing but like you know, new wave and electronica music and like neon lights everywhere. And you get like, fully
0: distracted because all the characters have too big hair and everyone's singing flock of seagulls. And you're like, I don't even know what's going on in the story right now because yeah, it's so it's distracted like, yeah, by exactly. the magnum P.I. If you, like, if <laughs> you, if
1: you watch wedding crashers, that movie doesn't let you forget it's set in the eighties, but that's what it wants. It wants or you, wedding singer you or mean. wedding singer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you watch the wedding singer, It wants you to know that it's in the 80s. Exactly. That's that's part of the mystique and the like fun of the Wedding Singer. Exactly. Is that it is set in the 80s. And it it jokes on the 80s. and And it it makes the jokes off of the 80s. Um and then I mean, obviously if you have period pieces that are way old, like if you're doing a Jane Austen thing, then of course it's gonna be steeped in it. Right. But for the most part, like things from the 70s, 80s, and 90s looked and felt a lot like modern day just with like different touches yeah um and you know i think grant morrison actually did a really good job with this in proctor valley road because that was set in like the 60s or the 70s right right but the kids in that book felt like they could just exist in our day It, it felt it makes the characters more relatable when you don't you know and you don't bog it down with like hey remember this was in the 80s like crazy am i right you know
0: it's like when they just talk instead of everything out of their mouth is like totally rad and tubular like just let people talk
1: you know (laughs) this one very much does it it's set in like the height of the 80s it's 1985 like there's a lot of 80s stuff that has been established like a mid-decade is when the decade really starts to get like its personality right you know um and then late decade, people deconstruct it and start to prepare to move into the next decade and yada, yada, yada. Exactly. But um, 1985 would be a big 80s year. And he could have had this set in, like, L.A. and have it feel very, like, you know, neon lights everywhere and stuff like that. And while it was still set in California, set in L.A. and San Diego and places like that, it didn't bog itself. So we had scenes where he had to call somebody and he would go to a pay phone. But you know what? Like. A private eye nowadays might use a payphone, you know, instead of using like a cell phone, you know, like.
0: And a lot of the themes were very 80s related, like the talk of drugs and things yeah. like that. Like it it felt very and 80s, he, but it didn't feel like superfluously so. Yeah.
1: And he, you know, makes references to like, oh, yeah, skinheads were big in this this area of California at this point in time in the 80s and stuff like that. And it's like, you know but it it doesn't feel like the book is just trying at every turn to remind you that it's the eighties and that's, you know, Brubaker and Phillips just doing a good job of making the setting, not saturate the story. Yeah. You know, so that lets you immerse better and get involved in it. And like I said, I fade out set in the fifties. It's obviously very fifties, you know, characters are smoking all the time. They're wearing three piece suits and shit like that, but it's not like so steeped in like, Hey, remember the 50s? Remember like old school Hollywood? Yeah. You know, that it, it while the setting is there and you feel the setting at all times, the characters still feel like people that you can kind of relate to. They don't feel like these distant cousins that you would feel if you were watching like a Jane Austen movie or right. something it's, like that. It's
0: effectively one of those scenarios where it feels like a more realistic period piece like if you're watching like snippets from documentaries rather than like this caricature that's usually made, like yeah. the eighties is so often like let's put every instance, every reference of the eighties we possibly can. But like, that's not how the eighties were like the eighties were an organic time, just like any other period. Yeah, so exactly. there's going to be people that like never took on those, perso- yeah. those personality traits. That's, like
1: That's exactly what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, too often when you're trying to set something in a certain time period, you can look at, like, the fashions and styles and personalities that were popular, like, popularized in that time period right. through, like, media and movies and TV shows and stuff like that. Um, and you just, like, character caricature is a great word. You just populate your book with characters that are caricatures of that kind of thing so like yeah. if i'm setting something in the 90s i'm gonna have like a grunge like kurt cobain type kid and then i'm gonna have like a group of kids that are like the lost boys and like all this stuff you know what i mean yeah. and it's like lost boys was 80s wasn't it yeah anyway you know that Late kind of 80s. stuff like if i'm if i'm setting uh you know, book in the eight or yeah. If I'm setting a comic in the eighties, I'm going to have like big hair and this guy's really into Michael Jackson. And this guy's like really into hair metal and stuff like that. And then yeah. I'm going to have like the one dude who's like really into like iron maiden and stuff. The and girls like, look
0: like Valley girls or Madonna. Yeah. Like,
1: really s- just like, pfft, this is look at how eighties this is. Yeah. You know, and, but just like nowadays, like there are people that are really into like, the kardashians and their culture there are people that are really into like hipster culture there are people that are really into like goth culture
0: there are people that are just neutral that wear like a t-shirt every day not everybody
1: (laughs) is and even the people that are somewhat dipping their toes into different cultures and different like styles and different like hobbies and things like that might just be dipping a little like there there are goths that are like i am like what you would expect If you wanted to make a caricature of a goth, this is what it would be. But then there are people that are like, I wear only black.
0: I wear black lipstick a lot of the time. Yeah. But
1: I really like big black strappy boots. Yeah. And that's it. And they still consider themselves part of like goth style, but they're not like the extreme. And I feel like too often when something is set in a period piece, it's like the extreme. So they look at like. What makes the 80s, 80s? And they look at like Miami Vice and they look at like hair metal and they look at like, you know, various punk movements. And they're like, OK, we need all this in here so that people get. Yeah, that it's 80s. exactly, you know, at any point in time, it needs to feel like a Knight Rider episode, or a, <laughs> you know, you know, or the Lost Boys, or something yeah. like you know, one of these like there needs to be a synthesizer waiting around every single corner.
0: Somebody's got a kitar.
1: Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's fine. Like that's fine, and that's a good way of it can like be fun. Yeah, and it can be fun. It can drum up that nostalgia and stuff, but it can also saturate your story so much that it makes it puts this veneer that creates a wall between the consumer and the product itself because it's like. I'm not living in the 80s. Yeah. I might have the nostalgia pull of like, oh, yeah, you know, like uh, with stuff set in the 90s, I might be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember when we used to do that, like show any millennial a blockbuster logo and you'll get that same effect. Yeah. But does that really let your person immerse it's into the
0: difference the story? between watching through like a window and being in the same room? Exactly. Yeah. percent. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's the difference between a movie and a play yeah you know exactly I mean? or even if we just look at plays it's the difference between like a traditional stage and a thrust stage yeah you know definitely thrust stages feel very immersive because people are in the middle and you're surrounding S- them seeing all the they're sides. like coming up close to you if you're in the front row if you're in like a traditional stage which i think there's a name for but i don't know what it is you know there's distance there yeah and that's fine and it serves different purposes but you know, I think they do a really good job giving us a thrust stage of a story set in the 80s. I agree. And I just think that's something that Brubaker and Phillips are very, very good at. I agree. Um, and and I love that, you know.
0: Very true. This is a very cool book.
1: It is. It's very good. Uh, once again, it's another very nice hardcover. Uh, it's got a very good cover that feels uh, very pulp. Yep. You know, pulpy. It's got that like kind of old b-movie vibe to it Uh, and it would just look good on a shelf it's high quality material and your shop may have gotten some like signed book plates so if you pick it up at your local shop see if they have any of the signed book plates available and get yourself a brew baker signed uh friend of the devil
0: heckin cool so that's gonna do it for us for this episode of graphic novelties if you want more graphic novelties episodes um of all of the brewbaker things and also non-brewbaker things. <laughs> Maybe some other
1: things. We might we might try to branch There's
0: out. There's been a few. Don't yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not denying that there have been others. Like Astrof Pan was a recent one that oh, was fantastic.
1: AstroPan was. So um,
0: and if you want to hear that graphic novelties, you can he- find that on our website, coverbypodcast.com. Mm-hmm. We are also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find us on all of those, so be sure to follow us. Um and we have merch. We've got really, really cool t-shirts, hoodies socks masks all sorts of neat stuff so definitely go and check that out that's also on our website
1: yeah and until the next time we will catch you right back here same bat time same brew baker channel <laughs> uh <laughs> for the next episode of cover B.
0: bye everybody
1: we love you
0: Mwah.